Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. explore what's mentioned here, I think you would be surprised how relevant the book of Revelation would be for all of us because, uh, you know, we believe that we are indeed living in the end times, that, you know, I'm not a prophet, you know, I'm not going to pretend to know exact timing of Jesus' return, but I think if we are being sound Christians, we want to make sure that it can happen in our lifetime. And the goal of your faith is that you want to live in such manner that if Jesus came in this generation, in your lifetime, that you would absolutely live with the readiness and the certainty of his return. So I think it would surprise you that this book may be very relevant for all of us. And it's because this letter was written by Apostle John again, and God was giving him many visions because the Christians at his time, in the late 60s, 70s, all the way to 90s, until he passed away of old age, a lot of Christians in the Roman world were facing a lot of persecution. And they were dealing with this evil emperor, Uh, starting with Nero, and he literally made life for Christians a living hell for them. He persecuted them, he captured them, he arrested them for no reason, and he would uh, uh, throw them into the den of lions and and other beasts, and they would often just uh, uh, tie them up on stakes and burn them alive, and to be used as to lighten up the Colosseum. Really, really brutal stuff. So because of such treatment of Christians, the Christians were really weary of maintaining their faith and fervor for Christ. And at this time, the Word of God comes to Apostle John and giving him dreams, giving him visions, and basically giving him many revelations concerning the kingdom of God. This is why this book is called the Book of Revelation, right? Because God was revealing to Apostle John, hey, remember, the end will come. Remember, there is purpose and reason of all that you are going through. And the goal is for you, goal for you is to maintain and not to lose the faith that you have been confirmed in Jesus Christ. And more specifically in the opening chapters, John addresses the seven churches that have been existing in the Asian Minor. So he goes one church at a time, seven churches planted by different apostles and disciples, and he goes through one church after another, exposing, I shouldn't say exposing, addressing the issues and difficulties that they were encountering. And the first example that we have here in chapter 2, and John is writing to, or I should say, Lord Jesus himself is speaking to the church of Ephesus. Are you with me so far? So that, that's the backdrop. So understand the, 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 the context and um, the situation that many Christians were in at that time. All right? Let's, so let's look at John's description 
of the church in Ephesus. And if you may, uh, compare the description here with the church that you belong to. Let's compare the description here and also look into our own lives as well, all right? And this is what's said of uh, the Ephesus, uh, Ephesian church. Verse 2, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. At first, it sounds like a pretty solid church. It sounds like a church that I might actually belong to. It sounds like and it looks like the church that I would send my kids to. I mean, I, mean, I mean, look at it here. After about 60, 70 years that the church was established, they were just a solid church. They were devoted to holiness, meaning they, were, they had their ways of those that were uh, committed to uh, uh, evil, doing evil. They say the church did not tolerate evil men, meaning they were committed to holiness, pursuing holiness. And they were also doctrinally very sound, meaning the, their, their knowledge of the Bible, their commitment to the gospel was uh, to a certain level that any time false teachers came, they preached a false gospel and said, uh, began to proclaim some other funky stuff. A lot of people did that in the first century. So the church were aware enough to call them out, say, you know what, that's not right. That's a false gospel. That's not what Jesus said. And they would drive out these false teachers. How many of you guys know that would be very beneficial for a church, right? Can, you, can, you, can I just say, if a, a guest speaker, or if anybody, even for me and Tab, like if we ever came up, and we began to say things and preach things that really didn't sit and, and well and align with the true gospel, would you guys know, would you guys have the guts to call us out? Would you? It's like, ask the next guy. Would, would you? Right? I, I, I remember, like, how awkward would that be? Like, your old pastor is, like, talking gibberish. Like, he's talk, this guy is, like, talking out of his butt. It's like, you can't tolerate that, right? But I, even if that happened, can you imagine just the, how awkward, how dreadful it would be for you to even, like, bring it up? Say, hey, Scott, can I talk to you? Right? We need to talk. By the way, when pastor is here, like, hey, Pastor Scott, can we talk? We know it's never a good thing. I actually, I dread those. Can we talk? Right? He said, hey, I need to talk. Hey, man, your, your teaching, your preaching is way off. And we're going to ask you to leave. Would you have the guts to do that? I mean, this church did that. So there was no room for false teachers. Praise God. Not only that, this church, according to Jesus, he says, Church in Ephesus, guess what? The circumstances, your life situations have not been great. I know a lot of your friends are dying because they're just getting arrested and just like publicly being executed. But you are still persevering in your faith. Jesus says, good job. And they were resilient in their faith. And these are all positive descriptions of a church. I don't know about you, man, like, that seems like a solid church. But check out what's happening. Uh, in spite of those amazing descriptions and commendations from Jesus himself, he says, he says something as, he, as he's implying all the goods that you have done, in spite of all the positive aspects, this one thing is big enough to undo any good that you did do 
in the past. Yes, you persevered in your faith. Yes, you were doctrinally sound. Yes, you were devoted in holiness. But he says one thing that you have neglected, one thing, and in your neglect of this one thing, just nullifies in your faithfulness and diligence in all the other areas. And he says this in verse 4. But, that's a big but, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, have you left your first love? Well, if you're a husband and wife, this is an awkward conversation. <laughs> you better have, right? But I'm talking, about, I'm talking about your love for Jesus. Have you abandoned your first love? I'm going to give you a moment to think about and reconnect with the first time that you ever fallen in love with Jesus, the first time that you came in encounter, that you experienced the love of God, the first time that you lived with the assurance, like, man, that is amazing. The gospel message came alive to you. You were able to sit in the presence of God and you receive all the heavenly affections. You felt the relief of your life as Jesus lifted the burden of sins. And you lived out of confidence rather than insecurity. You lived out of the joy that God has placed upon you. Your first love for Jesus. And you look at your own heart now. You look at your life. Somewhere along the line, we're not so sure if we're able to say, Man, I love Jesus in the same way that I used to love Jesus in the days of past. You know, I got together with a pastor friend of mine this week. And, you know, I don't know how this conversation came up, but we noticed that a lot of our references in, in, in the way that we love God and, and we experience God, a lot of, we found ourselves saying a lot of the references were in the past. And we began to bemoan the fact that why is it when we talk about passion for Jesus, we talk about in our youth group days? You with me? Why is it that when we talk about, man, we didn't care, we just surrendered to God? Why is it when we talk about surrender, it's when we were single? And a little bit stupider. When we had no problem YOLOing. Why is it that when we talk about passion for reading scriptures and growing in holiness, why is it never now? But it's always when we had more time to read the Bible, when we were more uh, compelled to pray, actually, when we were more willing to go away in, in many days and retreat and just to be spiritually recharged. And I began to lament the fact that why is it always in the days of past? And I pray as we read these verses here, I pray that you would have the desire, God, I want to love you the way that I used to love you in the days of old. God, I want to feel your presence. God, I want to long and live for your presence as I used to when I was much younger. And there should be that desire, that yearning. God, I want to feel more of you, God. God, I want to hunger after you. 
God, I don't want to be indicted, God. God, I go to church faithfully. God, I even volunteer. Some of you say, I volunteer. I'm a team leader. I serve in the praise team. I'm a pastor. I give such and such offering. I'm a faithful member. Oh, you, I know the Bible well. But I wonder, the indictment that Jesus had for the Ephesian church I wonder how close we would be being indicted for the same reason. Yeah, you have been faithful in attending church. Yeah, you have been faithful in, in, in looking out for false teaching. And, but what about that passionate love? What about that complete devotion that you once had for Jesus? So this thing, love of God, it's all about love. That's what Jesus is saying. Reconnect with this importance of love. So let me spend the next few moments talking about the preeminence of love for God. All right? And what the scriptures say about the importance of you having this fervent and vibrant love for God. Matthew chapter 22, verse 32 and on, it says this, right? This is a famous chapter when uh, the lawyers and the teachers of the law cornered Jesus for the purpose of what? Stifling him? For the purpose of so that Jesus would mess up in saying something and teaching something that would not align with the traditions of the Jewish religion. So they asked the question, Jesus, you're a great teacher. You're an amazing prophet. So what is the most important thing? What is the most important law that we should all keep? Well, sounds like an innocuous question, right? Sounds like, well, that's no big deal. Well, that's, that's a legit question, right? Except it was not. Well, the intent of asking that question was, I mean, here's the thing. The Jews, an average Jew, was encouraged to know and keep about 613 laws, all concerning their faith in God, all concerning how they should relate to God, all concerning how they, sh they should relate to one another. And Jesus was put, in, put on the spot that he was to choose the most important in response to that, instead of picking one out of the 613, he says something else. He says, he's seeing right through the intent of those asking the question. He says, you know what? The most important thing that you should keep is this. The greatest commandment for you is that, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and body. And love your neighbor as yourself. Amazing. He says this. On these two hang the rest of the commandments. So smart. I mean, he was, he was the inventor of mic drop. And what, what is it, walk off? Right? He was the greatest. He, if, he, if Jesus were ever engaged in a rap battle, like mic drop every single time, like end the story. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and body. And love your neighbor. As yourself. And he says, the greatest thing is you shall love God. That is the most important thing. You see, when the church loses its love for God, it's almost everything else, nothing else that they do should matter in the eyes of God. And that's a scary thought. But Jesus was also very firm in conveying that truth. 
Love the Lord your God. That's the first thing. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's, it's forever famous as the love chapter, right? At the very end of that chapter, what, what's the very last verse of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians 13? Faith, hope, and love. Of these three, the greatest is what? Love. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's, a lot of times we treat faith as like, like, like chump change. We, like, we, we don't want to make the mistake of belittling the value of hope. Right? But Apostle Paul says, faith, none of us should, should be relevant without our faith in Jesus. Absolutely necessary. Absolutely vital. Hope. Without hope, we cannot face the future. Without hope of eternity, hope of heaven. I mean, what are we living for? Paul says, yeah, you compare love to faith and hope. Of these three, love is the epitome. It's one, it's the most valuable thing. And what does verse 1 say in 1 Corinthians? It says, if I speak with the tongues of an angel. I don't even know what that means, honestly. If I speak with the tongues of angel, but I'm imagining it's something amazing. If I speak with the tongues of angel, but I do not have love, I'm no different than a clanging cymbal or a gong. Imagine. I wish I could reach out. I mean, imagine like you're talking. Imagine like that symbol. Like imagine like Hannah is with you all the time. He's, she's just like banging on that symbol. How annoying would that be? Not Hannah, the clanging symbol. I'm saying. I'm saying. You could do all of these things. You could have the most eloquent speech. You could be most amazingly a uh, kind person. But, but love is, you know what I mean? Something's missing. Love is missing then you're that. What about in Matthew chapter, uh, uh, Luke chapter 10, when Jesus talks about uh, Jesus in the house of Mary and Martha, two sisters amazingly grateful that Jesus was the honored guest, and they were both happy to host him, but two are committed to completely different tasks. Martha, being a good host, was involved herself in what? Cooking, cleaning, and she could not do enough. I, I imagine they had an amazing spread for dinner that night. She was busy doing all the work. While Mary could care less what Martha was doing in the kitchen, and she was that annoying sister, not helping out, she was found doing what? At the feet of Jesus. You know how annoying that is? If you're a family member, you're about to prepare the most important meal, and your family member, your loved one, is not doing anything? I mean, that's immediate, like, it's, it's go time. And Jesus, in responding to that uh, situation, and Martha, actually, she's, she had had it. She got so flustered, she came to Jesus. She ran to Jesus. Jesus, aren't you going to say something? Do you not see that my sister is not helping me out? Leaving me all, with all this work? What did Jesus say to Martha in response? I'm paraphrasing. They say, Martha, back off, man. Leave her alone. Let Mary be. 
because she has chosen what is good. Another mic drop and walk off. Jesus says, in that moment of clarity, when given the chance of doing good works versus sitting and being intimate with Jesus, Jesus says, this is the better one. This is a more worthy task. You see, friends, this is in alignment with what the Scripture is saying in Revelation 2. In Ephesians 2, Ephesians church, they were good at teaching the Word of God. They were committed to doing a lot of community work, I bet. They were devoting a lot of their time and resources serving those that were in need. But they neglected their love for Jesus. And I pray that you and I remember the strong and stern message in this passage that we have to absolutely prioritize loving God and loving God first. Amen. Amen. Help me out. You know what? Can I, do you know why I do that? Some of you guys are annoyed that I do that, right? It, it, I, I do that because it helps me preach, actually. It, it helps me to keep on going. It encourages me. In the same way that, like, when, um, you know, when, when Pastor Tavis or other worship leaders lead in the front, how many guys know that your response actually encourages us? It excites us. You know what happens when we get excited and we are encouraged? Guess what? We do better. Like, we preach better. We preach gooder. We sing gooder. <laughs> so you guys are actually helping me preach better by responding in those moments. Amen. Yeah, see? I'm already pumped. So let's do that, not, when I'm, not only when I'm preaching, but also when the uh, praise leaders are singing here in the front. I just helped you out, man. All right, so, and I really pondered this, right? Okay, God, I, I get it. I, I get the seriousness of the message here. God, I want to love you, Jesus. God, I want to make sure that I, my love for you never dwindles, right? But I, I, I couldn't, like, quite grasp what that meant, I wanted something more concrete. So, so I began to ask this week, it's like, what does loving God really mean? And, and that wasn't, I, I wasn't satisfied understanding the meaning of it. And I asked this question, God, what does loving you more look like practically? Because I want practical solutions, right? So here's what I came up with, two of, only two. I think loving God means, it, I, I think, first of all, it means this. Loving God means you love what he loves and you hate or dislike what he hates. Simple as that. Make it plain. Loving God means you love what God loves and hate what he hates. Meaning there's a confirmation and of will and desire in your life. Meaning you're spending your time and energy to constantly realigning as you discover the value and the character and the nature of God. As you understand, you become more in tune well, oh, this thing, oh, I think God would delight in that. Oh, this thing, probably not. Some of you guys who are married, you absolutely know what sets off your wife or your husband. You absolutely know what delights your husband and wife. If you do not know that, I would love to pray with you and talk with you after the service because you need a revelation of God in your life. Because how many of you guys know isn't it our goal as married couples that we want to continue to explore what delights and what disappoints our spouses, right? 
This is your first year of marriage, right? Are you guys too? Are you learning to discover more and more? Right? I hope you are, right? I mean, isn't that what the essence is? In the same way as people of God, loving God means constantly discovering what does God delight in and what does God not delight in, meaning would God be upset if I did this? Would, would God be disappointed if I said this? So it's constant discovery of what's at the center of the heart of God. Verse 5 and 6, I'm going to read for you here. There, man, I need my glasses. Guys, it's, it's really sad. I got my glasses earlier this year. I can't see too well anymore. It's blurry right now. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet, this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He's talking about, you know what I like, and you do that. And you also know what I hate, and you don't do that. And I like that you know what I love, and I, I love that you know what I hate. Because when we as people of God align ourselves, that should be our desire it should be our goal to discover and continue to live in what God delights in. What, that, what God does not delight in, we also stay away from as well. So the practical way of loving God means love what he loves, hate what he hates. Second, have a pure heart for God. Say it with me, have a pure heart for God. What does it mean to have a pure heart for God? First of all, all that means that you have an undivided heart. Say with me, undivided heart. Loving God means it's not just a, uh, it, it, it's not an emotional heart. That's not a loving heart. Sometimes we think as long as we feel, as long as we have like, oh, yeah, expressive, that's not necessarily a loving heart. Loving heart primarily means you have an undivided heart. So this is the way I interpret it. When I mean, when I say I have an un, when I have a pure heart for God means I have an undivided heart for God. Soren Kierkegaard once said this, right? Purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will and desire one thing. He was talking about our love and passion and pursuit of God. That's the purity of love, meaning our hearts are not divided. Your heart is not dominated by, the, by your pursuit or love of money. Your heart is not dominated. Your faith is not dominated by your drive for your hobby your, your, or even your building of your family or your pursuit of your, you know, other extracurriculars, your, your, your video games and, and fantasy sports and, and, and building up your, you know, man cave. Like, your heart is not divided. Your heart is primarily is what? It's driven. It's, it's driving for the love of God. Let me ask you this question. How divided, how fractured, how factioned is your heart for the Lord? What have we put in there that eliminated, that lessened our desire and pursuit of God? I had a dream earlier this week 
I, I really contemplated whether to share this or not, but I, I really feel like God, God was spoke, speaking to me, and I feel like God would speak to you today. I had, a, I had a dream earlier this past week. I had a nightmare. How many guys dream often? I, I dream. I'm a dreamer. And, and God oftentimes speaks through my dreams. You know, in my dream, I had a nightmare. In my dream, you know what happened? In my dream, I cheated on my wife. It, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was bizarre. It, like, immediately, like, I woke, I, I think I woke myself up by, it wasn't like, it was like, uh, uh. <laughs> I caught myself, uh, uh, and I woke up, and immediately the fear of the Lord struck my heart, and I got on my fours. <laughs> I flipped over, I got on my four, I began to repent, say, God, I'm so sorry, God my heart. And, it, and I, I looked over my wife. My wife is still there. And she's sleeping, has no idea. It's just, you know. And I began to just like toss and turn wrestling. And, and, and God, what does, and then like, and I waited and I fell asleep. And then when my wife woke up, you know, she gets up like five in the morning, you know, like she's out of the house by like usually by six o'clock. And by the time she was about to walk out of the room, I woke up and I woke up and said, honey, I'm so sorry. Like, I, I like apologized, I repented, and I said, I'm so sorry. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, I explained my dream. And she had some other, like, choice of words. <laughs> and she said, dude, no big deal. Like, just whatever, it's just a dream. You can't control dreams. Like, but then immediately I feel like it, it, it messed with me. It exposed my heart being divided, even though it was my dream. And then I, and then it's just like, this is the frailty of my heart. Constantly, if I'm not careful, that I, even my love that I have, that my, my love for chi, my, my wife could be attacked and could be just taken away from me. And then I thought, and God spoke to me more specifically the reason why I, I believe that. Because how often do I live my daily life not aware of that my heart is being divided, my heart is being wenched out of it, and just being torn out into pieces and just being given away to the things of the world? I want to tell you, friends, your heart belongs to Jesus. Your one faith belongs to your Lord Jesus. Your desire, your pursuit, your dreams, if they're not dominated by your pursuit of Jesus, it's time for us to check that. Are you with me? Love, love what he loves, hate what he hates, and have a pure undivided heart for God. I believe that God is speaking to you and me today, both individually and corporately to us, Rooftop Church. The words that he had for the wonderful church of Ephesus, I believe they apply the same for you and me. All right? Uh, praise team, would you come on up? Be ready to lead us into a song.
And I'm going to repeat. I'm going to reread the words that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. I know your deeds and your foil and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And I put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, have not grown weary, but have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds that you did at first. Remember where you have fallen and begin to do the deeds that you used to do. I'm not here to ask how far you've fallen. I'm not even going to ask when you have fallen or when you have begun to descend in your faith life. One charge, one exhortation I do have of you is that can we position ourselves? Can we begin to do the things that we used to do out of our passionate love for Jesus? Maybe that means for some of us is opening up our heart in faith. Maybe that means trusting Jesus as we relinquish the control over our lives. Maybe for some of us, it means giving up the pursuit of the desires of this world. Some of us, you love money more. Some of you care more about what others perceive of you. Some of you want fame. You want to make a name for yourself. That means more than your love for Christ. Again, I, you know, whatever that is, I think you know the answer. Can I just encourage you? Let's begin, let's begin to do the things that we used to do for the love of Christ, love of God. Amen. Would you just bow your heads with me in this moment? Holy Spirit, come. God, I pray that you begin to just scan this room. You begin to just uh, uh, take inventory of our hearts and lives, God. God, today, when it's all said and done, we want to be able to properly surrender to you. You know, the things that we struggle with, things that compete with our love for you, we want to be bold in surrendering, surrendering them to you. Spirit, come. God, the struggles that we have with our flesh, the desires that are unpleasing and unholy in your eyes, this craving, the constant craving of the flesh. 
God, only you can come and cleanse my heart, Lord. So God, even now, come. God, continue to speak to us, Lord. Let your word serve as a soap, cleansing us, Lord, renewing us, purifying us through and through. As we go into time of giving offering, Lord, as we give, as we go into time of even deeper prayer, I pray that you meet with us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Church. Uh,